0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: As I've been pondering Hanukkah this season, I know that there are many ways to um, look at this season. It's, uh, it's a busy time of the year. Uh, it's a festive time. Um, there's usually some good food. Uh, how, what would be the term? Some calorific food involved with it? Because most things fried in oil usually have uh, a bit of calories connected to them. But I was also thinking about some of the basic ideas and themes of Hanukkah and, and the main players. You know, we have this, this have you heard this saying, uh, the star of the show? He's the star of the show, she's the star of the show. And I was thinking, well, who or what is the star of the show in Hanukkah? Well, obviously, the Lord is the Kochav. He's the Kochav, he's the star of the show in Hanukkah. And I was thinking about all the different aspects of Hanukkah and all the different players and the the things that are connected with Hanukkah. Is the menorah, besides the Lord being the, is the menorah the star of the show? Is, are the Maccabees the star of the show? Uh, you know, is, is the oil the star of the show? Uh, you know, are, are the, the, the normal people that just got involved and helped, helped get rid of the yoke of the oppressors on them? Are they the stars of the show? And I, I can't believe that I came up with my own kind of star of the show. My own star of the show. And the star of the show to me, and this is just my own thought, <laughs> is the olive. <laughs> the little olive. <laughs> and think about it. What a star of the show that is. This, here's this tree, the olive tree. Uh, a, a tree that's found all over the Mediterranean basin. This olive tree. That uh, grows wild in Israel. I was double checking that. Does it really grow wild in Israel? Well, it does grow wild in Israel. Now it's highly cultivated. And I know we probably have here in this group here this evening, we probably have those who enjoy olives. How many of you enjoy olives, by the way? Mm hmm, that's right. <laughs> But there, this, this olive trees, and many of us have seen olive trees, in the natural, I have had the privilege of that in the Middle East to see olive trees, this gnarly olive tree. The, the, the bark is different. The way the tree bends is different. The, the, the wood is different. It's actually quite beautiful. If you have some olive tree things that have been made with olive wood, it's, it's quite beautiful. And it shouldn't surprise you that something that's so common, so common in the Middle East, so common in the Mediterranean basin, is referred to often in Scripture, whether directly about the olive tree or by the measly little olive. You know, that little thing, that olive, it's not a very big thing. It's a small thing. Some say it looks like eyes, like little eyes that the olive can see, you know, that type of thing. And there are many passages of scripture, more than we could ever cover here this evening, that speak about olives and olive oil and all that. When I say olive oil, I'm not talking about Popeye here. I'm talking about the actual juice that comes from an olive. And I want to share with you that it was Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 11, that wrote quite a little treatise, a, 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 a midrash, a drasha about the olive tree. And most of us are familiar with it, but it's quite deep. And my, my goal here tonight is not to be theological. That's not the goal tonight. My goal is just to point out that some of the very elements that we talk about and that are important to understanding the narrative, the story of Hanukkah that Kevin mentioned previously, are, are very commonly talked about in the Berit and the New Covenant. And in Romans chapter 11... Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, makes a point that in, in, his, in his opinion, in his divine opinion, uh, inspired opinion, he makes the statement that the Jewish people are the natural olive tree, the natural olive branches. They're the natural branches. And then he also mentions that non-Jews, and he likens them to wild olive trees, but thankfully, as this passage points out, and I've had the privilege to actually see this, that the, they're grafted together to one root. To one root, the Hebrew word for root is shorash. Can you say shorash? They're grafted together, so you have the natural olive tree and the branches, and then you have the wild olive tree grafted into it. And I recall the first time that I saw that, it happened to be where would it be in Israel? The Mount of Olives that I saw. The first time in my whole life that I ever saw a branch grafted into another tree which was then tapped into the root, went into the root of that tree. And, you know, there are many reasons why that would happen. One would be to increase the fruitfulness, sometimes actually to, to increase the sturdiness of the stock and to increase the propagation, the amount of olives that can come forward. And there was this tree on the Mount of Olives, again, of all places, Harazetim, the Mount of Olives. And, and as I walked up to that tree many years ago, and it, it just had looked like a bandage around it. It was wrapped with a bandage, and there was this branch stuck into it. Now, I knew enough about the scripture at that point to realize that that was a graft taking place and that there was probably a, a, a nice bearing olive branch that was connected to the one that was already there to increase the fruitfulness. And Rob Shill talks about Romans chapter 11, verse 24 It seems like he had a lot to say, and we'll just cover very briefly this. But in Romans 11, verse 24, he says, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and you were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. Now, you might say, Rabbi Michael, what's that all about? Well, let me say it this way. Read Romans 11. I'll tell you the whole story. But the point was that he's saying that if, if there were branches who were broke up that were the natural branches, doesn't it make sense that the natural branches could be grafted back into the natural tree to which they belong? And you know what? We call that now Jewish revival that Jewish people the world over are being grafted back into that root, the root being Messiah Yeshua, the root of true faith, trusting in Messiah Yeshua. Now, this is a much more complex subject that I care to discuss here this evening. And again, read Romans 9 through 11. It talks about this and builds up to it. And there's much to discuss about this. But Rob Shaul, he's saying that the natural people, the Jewish people, They can be, it makes sense, they need to be connected back into the natural tree, the root, the real root, and I believe the root is Messiah Yeshua. How many of you believe he's the root of Jesse? You know why? He's also the Lion of Judah. And we can go on and on talking about all that he is. But the most important thing, as far as you and myself are concerned, is he must be your personal Lord and Savior, as I discussed this morning. And I pray that that's the case, that he is your Lord and Savior. He is your Mashiach. He's your Messiah, that you have that kind of personal, that you, in a sense, have been grafted into him, that you have been brought into him, that you are, as the new covenant calls it, you are in Messiah, in Christ, as it says. How important that is. But who was the star of the show way back then at the time of the Maccabees? Was it the Maccabees? Could it possibly be just those little olives? Or or maybe there's something more that's connected to the olives. How about the olive oil that I've mentioned already? Because it was from the olive oil. From the olive oil, when we listen to, as Kevin expressed, the history there, the historical background of this celebration, this Hanukkah, which occurred, the original Hanukkah occurred in the the intertestamental period, if you're thinking about your own scripture, it's that, that page between Malachi and Matthew. That time frame between the prophet Malachi and then the coming of Yohananmaiel, John and Mercer, during that time frame is when Maccabees arose, when that whole movement to cast off the yoke of, of Hellenism uh, arose within Israel, and successfully, against all odds. Against all odds, they were able to cast that yoke aside. But during the time of the subjugation to the Greeks, during that time when they were subjugated to the Greeks, the Greeks and the Assyrian Greeks, there are different ways to express who they were, but they defiled the temple in Jerusalem. And they defiled the temple in Jerusalem with a capital D. I mean, they altered. at the altar, they sacrificed pigs at the altar. They did much worse than that, but they sacrificed pigs at the holy altar. They did many other things there to defile that and, and set up a statue of Zeus there in the holy temple area. Just imagine that and how, what, what an affront that was to the native, to the natural branches that lived there, the Jewish people that lived there at that time. And as they, the uh, Maccabees had success in casting off this yoke, this heavy yoke that had come upon them under Antiochus IV, when they had success with that, and they, they finally succeed in casting that yoke off, there they are left with this defiled temple. And you can think of what you might have done in that situation. What would you have done if you finally cast off that yoke and you know that the temple, that holy temple, the mikdash as it's called in Hebrew, you knew that at that very altar that pigs had been sacrificed. In that very area, statues of Zeus had been placed. And so they went about, the Maccabees and the successors to the Maccabees, they went, they went about trying to rededicate to Hanukkah. They wanted to Hanukkah, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, to dedicate or rededicate the temple to who? To the Lord, to the God of Israel. And they came and they found, the legend goes, that they found that they had only one day's, one day's cruce, Of oil. But this wasn't oil that you can just go down to Walmart or Sam's or Costco and buy some and then use that to burn in your oil lamp because back then they didn't use wax lamps, they used oil lamps. But the oil that was necessary for the holy menorah, the, the candlestick, the lampstand as it's called, the oil that was need for that in the holy temple just couldn't be any oil at all. It had to be sacred oil. You can read about this in the book of Numbers where it describes how the oil had to be. In fact, it was a very specific term for that oil. The Hebrew is shemen zayit zach. Shemen zait. Shemen means oil, Zait means olive, and Zach means this beautiful word, means pure. Shemen, Zait, Zach. Now I said that three times because guess what? I'm going to ask you to say it with me. You want to try it? I'll say it one more time Shemen, Zait, Zach. Let's say that together. Shemen, Zait, Zach. Zach, one more time, Shemin Zait Zach. Now I know what's going to happen. That after this is all done, and we play dreidel, and have all that we're going to have here, you're going to be driving in your car home, and suddenly three words are going to pop up into your mind, and it's going to be Shemin Zait, and you won't be able to remember the third word. So it's Shemin zaitzak, And that's that word is taken right from the Torah, right from the law, right where we read in Numbers. And it said that's the type of oil that had to be in the Hanukkah menorah, in the menorah Shemin zaitzak. So there's a problem. They find, the legend goes, they find that they have just one day's supply. So what are they going to do on day two? They only have one day's supply. And this is an oil that you can just order from Costco and go get or find at Aldi or, or wherever. This is holy oil that had to have been processed by the Kohanim, by the priesthood, the holy priesthood. They specially processed this oil because it was Shemin, Zait Zach. It was this sacred oil. And this is where one of the great miracles, as the legend goes, occurs, is that that one days cruise of oil that would last just one day lasted for how many days eight days eight days and you might say well why eight days why eight days well it took eight days to develop and process you know the the way that it needed to be the holy oil under the, the influence and under the watchful eye of the Kohanim, the priesthood, using the right type of olives, the right process, that to do. And by the way, if you, if you uh, buy oil nowadays, olive oil, how many use olive oil at home, by the way? Most of us do. There are, there are some differences in olive oils. <laughs> and I'm talking about more than just organic versus non organic. There's, there are coal press, there's first press, there's all these things. It's much more specific than you might think. Well, go put all that aside and go way past that. And that's where Shemin zait Zach comes in, because it had to be under the watchful eye of the priest, the Kohanim, the Levitical priest. Now, no other oil would be acceptable. Could they have taken a shortcut? They found one cruise of oil. Looked around, made sure nobody's watching, and then slipped some in. You know, the stuff they got at Walmart, slipped some of that in back in the days of the uh, rededicated temple. No, they couldn't do it because it was God's holy temple. We must give God our best. If you will, our Shemin Zach, our very best, must go to him. That first press oil, the first, we must acknowledge him with the first fruits of all our increase, as it says in Proverbs now scripture talks a lot about oil olive oil the hebrew word for oil by the way even for motor oil is shemin shemen. and so uh he, the, the bible has at least six different ways that oil olive oil is used mentioned in scripture i'm going to go through these real briefly then we'll conclude but there are six different ways that the oil was used in the Bible. You can check this out. We won't go through all the scriptures. If you want to do good study, check this out, though. Look it up on your own. Of course, most obviously, especially here on, on Hagorim, on the Festival of Lights, the oil, olive oil was used for illumination. Just like it would be used if those were olive oil, lamps there would be used to illuminate things. A second way that it was used is also quite obvious. According to the scripture, olive oil, shem and zayit, olive oil was used for food or cooking. Does that make sense? Yes. It's still used for food and cooking. A third way that it was used, and this is more commonly stated in the scripture than we might realize. There are many scriptures that reference this. A third way that was used was for medicinal purposes. How many of you knew that it's medicinal? Olive oil has a lot of medicinal traits to it. It still does, especially high-quality olive oil. So the scripture talks about that. In fact, some apply the book, in the book of Yaakov, the book of James, chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. You read this. It's a question. Is any among you sick? Is any among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the congregation... And let them do what? Let them pray over him, anointing him with shemin, with oil. The implication is olive oil. That's what they used. Anointing him with oil. Anointing him with oil. How? In the name of the Lord. (laughs) It doesn't work in your name or my name, but in his name. In the name of the Lord. And then verse 15 is a very encouraging verse. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, does that mean that everybody who's sick has, is a, a dire sinner? Not necessarily, but sickness can be related to sinfulness. Think about it. If you live a sinful life, let's just say an immoral life, could you have consequences, physical consequences and sicknesses from your immorality? Yes. If you are a greedy person and you are, are, are a gluttonous person, can you have consequences from that kind of a lifestyle that impacts your physical health? Yes, there, and you can follow the, the, the thinking there. So, It was used for illumination. It was food for cooking and used in eating. It was used for medicinal purposes. And the fourth use was for cosmetic and beauty matters. It's great for the skin. It's useful for that. It's, it was used back then for skin texture and for making the, the skin the right type of uh, form and and uh, you know softness etc. So it was used for skin texture and for healthy skin. Olive oil. It's still used for that, by the way. It was also used, and this is also quite obvious, but olive oil was used for religious reasons. For example, dedicating things. <laughs> Dedicating things, and for anointing uh, the kings of Israel, well, they were anointed with oil with olive oil, fragrant oil, and by the way, that, that when it 's mixed with fragrance, and this is an interesting use of it, olive oil when it 's mixed with a fragrance, a nice fragrance, like frankincense or myrrh or some of the nicer fragrances, olive oil was used even in the time of Yeshua. It was one of the six uses was, was for the extension of hospitality to someone. You might say, well, how does that work? They come in and you just give them a little bottle of olive oil and you say, welcome to the house? No. It's mentioned in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And let me read this text and we'll conclude. It says, then one of the Proshim, one of the Pharisees, asked Yeshua to eat with him. So one of the Pharisees is extending hospitality to Messiah Yeshua. He says, come and eat with me, eat at my home. And so Yeshua went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. Verse 37 brings intrigue to this. (laughs) And behold, the woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Yeshua sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. The base of the fragrant oil was more than likely olive oil. Olive oil with fragrance added to it. It was high quality olive oil with fragrance. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them. She anointed them, how? With the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Yeshua saw this, He spoke to himself saying, this man, I'm here he is thinking within himself, this man, if he were a prophet, if he was a Navi, he would know who and what man or woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Yeshua answered and said to him, and I love how the book of Luke gives us his name. (laughs) And <laughs> names drops here. <laughs> and, and, and before it says, this, one of the, the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, and then in the next verse, it drops the name of that Pharisee. And Yeshua answered and said to him, Shimon, Simon, Simon <laughs> I have something to say to you. Has the Lord ever had something to say to you, by the way? He has his way of getting through to us. I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. And then he gives Yeshua this explanation. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. One of 500 denarii debt, and another of 50 denari day. He freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, Yeshua says, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon, pretty sharp cookie, if I can say that, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Yeshua said to him, you have rightly judged. Notice what happens here. Then Yeshua turned to the woman, and then he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, no greeting kiss, which is still customary in the Middle East. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil, which, by the way, was more expensive oil. She has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, And you want to hear uh, a pin drop when he says this. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. He never denies that she was a great sinner, by the way. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then Yeshua said to her, speaks directly to her, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? I'll tell you who he is. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate, who so loved us that he gave his life. And he wants to forgive all your sins too. If you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, he wants to draw you and have you come and be part of his Mishpachah's family. In verse 50, and we'll conclude with that, Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends here this Hanukkah evening, when we accept Yeshua as Lord of our lives, when we accept him, it's as if we extend to him. When we say, come, Lord, come into my life, it's as if we extend to him a fragrant welcome, fragrant oil given to him. We receive him just like the woman received him with fragrant oil. When you accept Yeshua and you welcome him, you extend to him, you're greeting him the door of your house, your life, with fragrant oil. We must give them aside the very best that we can. This Hanukkah, as it was, has been mentioned several times, is about dedication. And I pray today, we're going to enjoy this this holy day today, this time of celebration. But I pray that we won't forget what the real message here is, that we need to dedicate our life afresh and anew. And God is able to supply that oil, that oil you need in your lamp, as the saying goes, based from the Bible, Yeah, you need in your lamp to be a light to those around you. When we welcome Yeshua into our life, we welcome his holy presence there. Now, one of the most famous, and we'll conclude with this, one of the most well-known mentions of anointing and oil is found in Tehillim, in Psalms. It's in Psalms chapter 23. And you think about that Psalm, and I'd like to read you that Psalm here in conclusion Says, I deny the Lord as my shepherd. I shall not want, I won't lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. You've anointed my head with what? Oil, shemin. You anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And this I pray for each of us here today, these final words. Let's say them together. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Adonai forever. And key to that is you have anointed my head with oil.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpina.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H. O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.